Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I remember standing on Mount Carmel both times when we went to Israel and they have a statue of Elijah there calling fire down from heaven. Now, there's no fire. There's just a statue of him praying. And, of course, the story is retold there. And it's retold here. And I want to move so much from an exposition of the passage to simply some applications that we can see in it as far as revival is concerned. Because truly, Israel was in need of a great revival. And what demonstrates that in an illustrative way was the fact that it hadn't rained there for three and a half years, all because of Elijah's prayer. That's pretty powerful when you can pray and it not rain until you finally pray again. But I want you to notice some things. First of all, let's get what I like is the good part of the story for me. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Now, it's true whether you believe it or not, but do you really believe that? Do you really believe that the God of the Bible could answer a person's prayer and send down fire from heaven? We have an all-powerful God, but our lives often do not show it. We say we believe it up here, but somehow there's a disconnect between here and here. You notice out of all of Israel, only one man's praying in this. It's getting through. And that's Elijah. So he says in verse 37 again, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. Evidently it was a sound, by the way, that only Elijah heard. Doesn't appear that the others heard it yet. You know, there are some things that some people who are in touch with the Lord and walk with the Lord, that they understand that other people who are just going about daily lives and concerned about themselves never hear. Some things have to take place for them to finally hear it. I remember hearing Leonard Ravenhill, something that he had said at a meeting many years ago. And he said... America needs God, is what a number of people say. But he says that's not correct. The church needs God. And when they get God like they should, then the world will hear about it. 
and want him. And there's a lot of truth to that. But notice the people shouted out, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Well, just a few moments ago, he had issued another challenge. He said, if Baal be God, serve him. And if the Lord be God, serve him. And the Bible says, and the people answered him not a word. Now the fire has fallen, and boy, they're shouting. It says in verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said unto his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there riseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The giving of rain, often in the Old Testament, was a symbol in the scripture of God's blessings, both physically and also spiritually. You have statements like Psalm 144 and verse 6, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee, as in a thirsty land. Psalm 12, or 42 and verse 1, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after God. In John chapter 7 and verse 38, Jesus said, He that believeth on me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. In Isaiah 44 and verse 3, he declares, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Now, in the passage that we read, all this scene is set up by the fact that Israel was living compromised lives. They knew of the Lord God of the Bible, to be sure, but they were not following him. They were honoring everything. Much like in America today, we're supposed to honor everything. We're supposed to be tolerant for everything. And as a result, we end up with the people who believe in nothing. Matter of fact, most of them don't have a clue as to what they even believe or why they believe anything at all. So we find that Elijah had prayed and he prayed that it not rain. Now in the passage before, which we did not read... In the passage before, it just basically states that he prayed and it didn't rain. Shut up heavens. Now, they tell us on uh, the local channels that we in North Alabama have been in the midst of a drought. But we've had a lot of rain this year. We had a little bit of rain. Yeah, but we didn't have hardly any rain in October. And so, guess what? Grass, trees, everything, it seems, can catch fire because we've been in a drought. Now, no, these people were in a drought. Imagine three and a half years of absolutely no rain. That is phenomenal. You would think that the people would have sought the God of heaven, but they hadn't. It is God who did not allow it to rain for three and a half years. Yes, in response to Elijah's prayer, but... 
It was God, and the answer would have been with God. But it seems like the last one that people want to turn to is God. Man, they'll get down and out. They'll curse God. They'll be mad at God. But they won't get right with God and seek God. By the way, you read the book of the Revelation, and you'll find with the several judgments during the tribulation that the people will still only curse God. Their only hope is to turn to God. And they're still going to curse God. It's what they do. So they allowed Baal worship. They had cursed the man of God. Ahab had been looking to destroy him, to kill him. Boy, now they'd have been in a fix if they'd have been able to do that. Because how would the rain have come back again? It's a good thing he hadn't found him to kill him. It's just like in our churches today. We're happy when every once in a while we see a blessing and one soul gets saved. And we say, my, isn't that wonderful? And maybe in a week and a half later, we see another one get saved. And then maybe two or three in a whole month. And we think that's really something. But you compare that to the New Testament church of the book of Acts, it's pretty pitiful. I'd say we're in a drought. A drought. We talk about revival. What we need is revival, thinking that somehow revival will make everything easier for us. And things will be nicer. But then we truly get to thinking about revival and what it's going to mean. A lot of times we preachers get around, we talk about the revivals of old that we've read about, kind of like the people of Israel, you know, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, but we haven't seen it. I've never seen a revival like what Billy Sunday had, where he came and preached for six months, and when he left town, there were no bars open, no brothels open. They had to lay off policemen because there was no crime. What a blessing that would be, huh? I've not seen a revival like that. I've never seen a revival like that. It may happen in some places, but you'd think you'd hear about that. What we do hear about is a bunch of people getting together and laughing out loud, and we think that's a revival, and that's not a revival. It's got nothing to do with revival. How we should long for revival. Now, revival should be a continuous state in the church and among God's people, but one of the things you learn by reading the Scripture was that where they did have revival, it was always temporary. It never just kept going and kept going and kept going. It's temporary, and that has to do with the heart of mankind himself. As the songwriter wrote, prone to wander, Lord God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy court above. It's hard to stay on fire. Sometimes it's hard to catch fire, but then it's hard to stay on fire. But we should long for revival. There would be many here who would have never seen a powerful Holy Ghost revival where bars close and the house of God is full and people are yearning to get in. But you can read about times where that happened in some places. In some cities where they had so many people coming to church that folks stood around, they had to open up the windows of the church so the many people standing outside could hear. I was in something like that in the Philippines down in Mindanao with Brother Bruce Rice, missionary we support in Depolog City. And um, they were having their second anniversary celebration. And they met in a good-sized house that they had converted into a church building for them and they were so packed out that they had people out on the veranda and the patio and the windows were open. And I had to preach extra loud so that I could be heard outside the building. We didn't, I don't remember a microphone system anyway, 
I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty exciting when the church is that full where you're just preaching to so many people that have come. They tell me a revival is only temporary, Billy Sunday said, but so is a bath. But it does you a lot of good to get it. And truly, we could use some spiritual baths. There was one lady who told Ravenhill, she said, I, I don't want revival. He said, well, why don't you want revival? He says, because judgment always follows revival. He said, well, it'd be better to have revival and judgment follow it than to have judgment and no revival at all. And some people, that's all they get is judgment. Why is there not more revival? Well, we can get some examples just from this matter of Elijah's prayer for rain. Number one, because people do not pray for it. Now, I don't know what the rest of the crowd was doing because, you know, the people don't look real good in this story. The reason that they've been without rain is not just been because of Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, but because Israel had turned away from worshiping the one true God and Elijah had prayed and it was dry. Well, now that they've seen the power of God over the no power of Baal, the prophets of Baal have been destroyed. We don't find any of those people doing anything. We find Elijah going to prayer. And he starts praying for rain. But we don't find the people saying anything. They've not had a revival. It's not there. They've not gotten right. They've made no statement to get right. You know, people are the same today. People haven't changed a bit. They're just like that. They get worldly. They fall in love with the world. And the Bible says the adulterers and adulteresses... Adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But that world's got so many neat toys out there. So many things that we can do. You know, you just can't find, you look through the history of this nation... You go through the scripture, you can't find revival without prayer. Prayer is the backbone of revival. Instead of substituting new ideas, as one man said, instead of substituting new ideas such as religious films or social entertainments, why not really try the God-given method for revival? Pray without ceasing. Wow, there's a novel idea. Why don't we not just say that we'd like to have revival, but go ahead and pray without ceasing so that we could have revival. Claiming the promises of God. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's obvious by what Elijah does that Elijah believed exactly that. He didn't just ask one time. You know, if he'd ask one time for it to rain, He'd have went home dry. There'd have been no rain. He kept asking, even when it didn't look to anybody else like it was possible that there'd be any rain. And you notice he started headed down to Jezreel to the palace ahead of time. All he needed was the fact that there was a small cloud about the size of a man's hand. That was it. That was enough for him to know that God was answering that prayer he'd been praying. 
Ahab would have gotten caught in the rain if it hadn't been for Elijah saying, you better get going, there's going to be a gully washer. It's in the Hebrew there somewhere. I, I know it's down there. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, learn something about prayer because if you want to see revival in your lifetime, this is going to have to be a part of it. Beginning in verse 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. She came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now this is very important. It's an important statement. Obviously, the judge represents God. The woman represents us in a way. See, God doesn't fear any other God, and God doesn't fear any men, and he's not a respecter of persons. Why on earth would this judge, for instance, answer the request of this lady? Because of her continual coming. Remember, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is a sign of faith. Now, there are some people who try to explain away even the necessity of prayer because whatever God wants to do, he's going to do it anyway, whether we pray or not. So there's really no need to pray. You're wasting your time, and that's stupidity. You have not because you ask not. The Bible's real plain about that. The Bible calls on us to pray for a reason. He says the reason you don't have more answers to prayer is because you don't pray. He's told us to pray. He wants us to pray. How should we pray? Men ought always to pray and not to faint. But he's not done. Get back here to verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, that's the first mention of that word in this whole passage, faith. Where does faith come in? Her continual coming. That's where faith came in. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's always praying and not fainting. Elijah gives us an example of that in his prayer. We're ready to cry unto him day and night. When we're ready to do that, we'll see God begin to move. Now, in the story, Elijah had prayed seven times for it to rain. And he sent his servants seven times. Now, this is after the drought has been going on for three and a half years. How did it all get started? Well, early on, it, earlier on, it just says that Elijah prayed. But I want you to know how he prayed. Go over to the book of James in the New Testament. In James chapter 5, here we are right near the end of this chapter. He tells us how Elijah prayed for it, to for it to stop raining. After saying in verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, and that's Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed, underline the word, earnestly. 
He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Now, it's interesting. When we know from the story we just read, it tells us that he prayed seven times for it to start raining again. But all he says in verse 18 is, is he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So in the one passage, we see exactly how he prayed for rain to come. In the other passage, the New Testament passage, we see how he prayed for it to stop raining. He earnestly prayed. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But we've got too many toys. We don't have time to pray. I mean, that's where the microwave has done us in. We like, we like our religious life microwaved. We want it to happen right now. We've only got so much time for God, and so we want it quick or we don't want it at all. And so God says, okay, you're not going to get it at all. When we get back to getting serious with the God of heaven about this matter of prayer, we'll begin to see God do some great things. Uh, by the way, if you look at the different things that were prayed for in the scripture, most of the things that they pray for, we don't. And most of the things that we pray for, they didn't. There's a lot of things that are never mentioned in the scripture. Look at the New Testament church in the book of Acts. We don't have time to go through all that tonight. It was Vance Havner who pointed out the great Welsh revival was accomplished without hymn books, without organs, without publicity, without offerings, without a famous name preacher. These things are not evil, but God can do wonders without what we think we must have. Well, if we can just get the right preacher in here. No, that won't do it. That's not how you get a Holy Ghost, heaven sent, revival to take place. Do you want a real revival? See, part of the problem is, number one, is because we don't pray for it. It's why we don't get it. Number two, because we do not expect it. Now, Elijah, obviously, from the story, he fully expected the rain. He'd sent the servant to go look for it. Now, don't you often wonder? If, I like to think through these stories. I like to see what these characters might have been like had they been me. And I find normally that the way I act is not the way that they acted. Except I can think that this servant, especially like the fifth time he's gone out, he's looked, there's nothing there. He goes back, Elijah says, go look again. And I can see him looking over at a friend of his and going, but at least he went back. We get upset because we pray a couple times and God doesn't answer. Well, we're supposed to keep praying, though. So we go back and we pray again, and we go back and we pray again. Now, a lot of times we quit too soon. I wonder if God may not show us when we get to heaven a closet full of all the things that would have taken place if we would have just kept praying. If we would have showed the kind of faith that God honors, where we diligently seek Him. Yeah, in the book of, by John R. Rice, Prayer, Asking and Receiving, he gives an illustration back in the 1930s of a Texas drought. It had been going on for some time. And of course, in Texas, back in the 1930s, that was a very, very difficult place with the dust bowl and all that that was there. Anyway, a church had decided to call for a church prayer meeting. And so the people arrived at the church for that several hours of prayer. And one little boy came in the church and he had an umbrella with him. 
some of the adults looked at him and said, why on earth did you bring an umbrella? It hadn't rained here in months. And he said, oh, I thought we were praying for rain. The truth is, too many times a day we're praying, but we're not, we're not expecting God to do it. We're just going through the motion of saying prayer. We do not expect it. What are you looking for in church? I mean, we've got a lot of marvelous promises in the word of God. And some of these promises absolutely bowl me over. I wonder what's wrong with me to not see what Jesus said we should be seeing. Turn over to John chapter 14 just a moment. I've shared these verses with you before. And we want to explain away by explaining down the power of God. But I believe these promises are very, very real. I want you to notice, for instance, beginning in verse, oh, let's see, verse 12. Jesus is talking on the night before his crucifixion. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now stop right there for just a moment. Did you see what he just said? Stop and think about what he just said. Whatsoever, I'm sorry, verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, that's me. I believe on him. It's Brother Cook, isn't it? You believe on him. Brother Nelson, that's you, isn't it? You believe on him. I don't care who you are. I'm pointing out some preachers here, but it's anybody. Do you believe on him, Abby? You do? Abigail? All right. How about you, Brother Ralph? Okay. That's you too then, isn't it? Now think about those. Think what he just said. The works that I do shall he do also. The works that Jesus did, he says, those who believe on him shall do also. And if that doesn't blow your mind, Look what he says next. He says, and greater works than these shall he do. You say, explain that, preacher. I can't. I can't. I look at what Jesus did. I'd be happy to do one one hundredth of it. He said, greater works than these shall he do. Well, is the problem with him? No. Was he exaggerating? I don't believe it. Do you realize there is so much more that he has for us than what we're taking part in? And guess whose fault it is that we're not? It's us. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the next verse. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you believe the promises of God? Brother Bobby, do you believe the promises of God? He says, if you ask anything, you'll do it. Isn't that what he said? And that's for me. That's for Scotty. 
That promise is for you. Ask anything in his name and he'll do it. Wow, that's not been the experience of my prayer life. I've asked for a lot of things in his name. I wish I could say that my prayer life matched that. It's not close. Then the problem must be with my prayer life. Because it's sure not with him. It's almost like, well, hey, there's a drought. There's a drought. And we sit around and we complain about the drought instead of getting serious to see God do something about it. Thank God for the Israelites in this place that there was one who was serious that would pray till it got done. And that was Elijah. Now, so we do not ask for it. We don't pray for it. We don't ask for it. And we, then we don't recognize it. Interesting, the seventh time, that servant comes back. And he says, what do you see? Oh, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. He didn't recognize what it was. Elijah recognized what it was. This is the answer to prayer. He got it. He knew it. He saw it. Hey, I'm not preaching name it and claim it, folks. I'm not preaching that nonsense. I'm just simply saying, when we experience a real revival, we'll see things like we've never seen before. And I'm not preaching the desire of revival to see great things. But I know that when revival comes, he gets the glory that he should be getting. It won't be glory on Madison Baptist Church. It wouldn't be to the pastor it wouldn't be for you, but it would be God that would be getting glorified in all things. Elijah only needed the sign of a small hand. Would you like to know? Well, let's see. How would we recognize revival if it came? How would we recognize revival when it came? Yeah, it does something to us. I, but I think there are a lot of folks who believe that when revival comes, ooh, we'll just tingle all over. I don't find that anywhere in the scripture. Revival isn't tingling. Stick your hand in the socket. Now that's tingling. But that's not a revival. All right, that's not going to help you to experience revival at all. Someone said when Christians are on fire, believers are warmed. And sinners are attracted to the light. More missionaries being called out to win the lost. Because what's it really about anyway? It's about bringing lost the lost to Jesus. Why do we need revival? So we can be more effective doing what we're supposed to be doing and reaching the lost. Revival is not for us to feel better or simply to have an experience that, oh, the joy is so ecstatic no, revival is so we can do his work greater than ever before. Amen. Because when we bear much fruit, he is glorified, according to John chapter 15, which is the way it's supposed to be. You realize every really spiritual movement is instantly followed by a missionary movement. You give a John Wesley and that generation and a William Carey and the mission movement followed that. As soon as Wesley caught and communicated to his countrymen the vision of the king and his beauty, Carey arose to carry that beatific revelation 
to the lands that were far off. Here's what we think revival is. We think revival is changing the other guy. That other guy, he irritates me. God changed all those other guys that irritate me. Then we can have revival. No, when God changes you, you have revival. When you pray, you understand. It's not about God changing the other guy. As a matter of fact, wouldn't it be wonderful to be ground zero of a real revival? Not out on the periphery, but to be ground zero of a real revival where it starts and it burns out from there and catches on to many others. Revival results in holy lives and driven prayer and heartfelt praise in fervent service in a new direction in our walk and in our life. Someone has said that revival is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. If we find a revival that is not spoken against, we'd better look again to ensure that it is a revival. Results in tears over sin, forsaking of sin, tearing down idols, new purpose in living, and a love for God's people, and a love for the lost. What would be the small cloud of revival? Well, perhaps, maybe just... One backslidden Christian getting right with God. That might be the small cloud by which it gets started. Somebody who decides to stop playing the game and stop just putting on the fundamentalist face, but to really seriously get right about everything in their life. To ask God to show them improper motives. To ask God to show them our judgmental attitude, unforgiveness, a bitterness of heart towards somebody that they perceived had wronged them. For somebody to let God, the Holy Spirit, search out every part of their being. This is where I go back to Psalm 139, where David wrote, and he said, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am I not grieved with those who rise up against thee? I hate them. With a perfect hatred, I count them mine enemy. And then it's almost like he thinks for a moment, maybe with what he did with to Uriah the Hittite, thinks of his sin. Because right after that, he says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thought. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It may be one teenager. Sometimes we think, well, just a deacon would get right with God. Totally right with God, we could have revival. That assistant pastor, get, but maybe just one teenager got right. Maybe it would spread from there. Maybe one junior age person. Maybe one junior church worker. They really got right with God. Maybe a bus driver. It may be one old prayer warrior whose heart had grown cold. And they begin to recognize it and cry out to God to get right with him. And then it spreads. John Wesley used to tell his preacher boys, they asked him, how can, you, how can you get a crowd to preach to? He said, set yourself on fire and people come out to watch you burn. 
I'm reminded of a story in a book written by Robert Sumner many years ago about revival in the church. And he said there was a church that caught on fire in a particular city. And a neighbor right next door to the church, the people of the church had tried to get him to come. He never came out to church. But when the church was burning, I don't know, burning up or burning down, I don't know how that works. The flames were going up, church was going down. The fire department was there and they were doing their best to fight the blaze and somebody looked over and saw that neighbor standing there watching it. He says, how come you're out here now? Why couldn't we ever get you out here to uh, see the church when everything was whole? He says, well, the church was never on fire before. Be a shame for people to die and go to hell within sight of the steeple, wouldn't it? without even getting a gospel track, without even one person to knock on their door. These people could have had rain earlier. Three and a half years without rain. Wow, they could have had rain earlier. All they had to do is get right with God. You look in the book of Judges, and to me it's amazing that each case, when they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, God might bring the Philistines down upon them or the Midianites or the Ammonites or the Amorites, but bring those different folks down around them to put them into bondage for 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. And finally, after 40 years or 20 years, they finally have enough and they finally start crying to God and then God sent a judge to get them out. Why didn't they do it after one year? Look at all the agony they could have saved if they'd have recognized what was happening was because of their own sin. But they never seemed to get it. So now they get rain. Let me give you another reason that we don't have revival. The truth is we really don't want it bad enough. They were holding on, trying to hold on to both God and Baal. Like Christians trying to hold on to the world and holding on to Christianity. And Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. They just wouldn't make a commitment, even when they were confronted by the man of God, when he said, if the Lord be God, serve him, if Baal be God, serve him. And the scripture says, they answered him not a word. You see, Baal lets us do a whole lot more that the flesh wants than what the Lord does. And if I let go of Baal to just cling to the Lord, it's going to change what I watch on TV. It's going to change what I do with my day off. It's going to change places that I go. It's going to change where my money goes. And some just don't want the changes. They just don't want it that bad. Some want God just to revive their feelings, but not to change their lives. Most, and this is true all over, I'm not just talking about Madison Baptist Church, it's true all over, that most are not willing to pay the price. The only one who stayed and prayed was Elijah. Think about it. these people had just seen an example of the power of their God they could have been set free from so much before, but even after seeing that great example with the fire coming down from heaven, still, they don't pray. The next day when Elijah's life is threatened, they don't stand with him. He's still all by himself. 
even after all they had seen. Revival. You've got to be willing to pray for it, willing to expect it, able to recognize it when it comes. First, we need to find out if we really want it. Some of you know the name R.A. Torrey. R.A. Torrey was a great evangelist. God used him to shake a couple of continents for the Lord in preaching. First of all, over in Europe and then down in Australia. He was an assistant to D.L. Moody in D.L. Moody's great days. D.L. R.A. Torrey used to give a prescription for a revival that he said would work in any community. And here's what he said, and with this we'll close tonight. He says, let a few Christians, they need not be many, get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest that I'm going to tell you will come to nothing. He said, just get a few Christians. Doesn't have to be many. Could be two or three decided, I want to see revival before I die. And find someone else who's of the same mind and decide you're going to start meeting. Might be in the evening sometime. By the way, the great Philadelphia revival that took place in 18, I think it was 1857, might have been 1855 or 6. But that great revival started because just a few businessmen got together at noon, first of all, once a week. It ended up being every day, but they'd get together at noon during their lunchtime and just pray. And a great revival came to that city just out of those businessmen getting together. It wasn't long. There were hundreds of different prayer meetings going on around the city. But he said just a few. Then he says, let them bind themselves together in a prayer group to pray for a revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. And then he says, thirdly, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to do to be uh, for him to use as he sees fit in winning others to Christ. He says, that's all those three things. That's all it would take for you to see a real, honest-to-goodness revival. Let's pray. Father, you said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and I will pour floods upon the dry ground. Spiritually, Lord, this nation is a desert. Spiritually, Lord... And Lord, I know Madison may not be a very big place. But that's really not important. You're just looking for a few people to finally decide that they want revival more than they want anything else. I pray you'd stir our hearts tonight. I pray there might be some believers who'd begin to pray tonight asking you to change themselves so that you could come and move in such a mighty way upon them and use them to begin revival. Lord, deal with our hearts tonight, I pray. It's going to take a few people that really want it and are willing to pray for it. Have your way in our lives tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.